this court's decision is like throwing away your umbrella in a rainstorm because you're not getting wet. My name is Matthew Kroll. And I haven't the talent to being a great opera singer. My name is Shahir Dowd. And this is the only podcast about movies, specifically the film R.B.G. Which stands for... Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Yeah, we are talking, of course, of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who unfortunately passed away this week. But we are very delighted to, uh, in despite the trying times, to have with us uh, the editor of RBG, Carla Gutierrez. How are you, Carla? Thanks for joining us. Um, I mean, I'm sad. It's been a tough week, but uh, yeah. but I'm very glad to be here and... Uh, uh, you know, I've been telling a lot of people that have asked me in the neighborhood when I'm walking my dog, like, we've been thinking about you. And I always say, you know, the one, if I, if there was one lesson that I got from working in the film was like, you know, her determination and optimism. So that's what I'm like trying to channel through these days. So, yeah. And yay. every day is a trying day right now as we get closer and closer to the election. Um, and again, uh, we've made this pledge on the podcast before. Uh, if you register to vote and do so based upon our recommendation to do so, we will uh, oblige by uh, reviewing anything you want us to review on the podcast. Um, that could be your short film. It could be your dog video. It could be your cat video. Whatever it is you want us to look at, Any listener we will choice. review it. <laughs> Um, as long as you register to vote in this year's uh, U.S. election. Um, And always, uh, we have a bunch of emails that we wanted to go through uh, uh, at another time, a little bit later on, Um, but you can always email us in at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter at onlymoviepod. Carla, I just want to start with this one quote because I think it's going to shape a little bit of the conversation uh, that we're having here. Um, For the documentary that you edited when two worlds collided oh sorry let me start that again for the for the documentary you you edited when two worlds collide which premiered at the 2016 sundance film festival variety magazine made a special mention of your contribution saying your work was key to shaping a coherent narrative from what was doubtlessly a daunting mountain of material (laughs) on a complicated subject wow we're going way back (laughs) We are going a little back, but I feel like that quote has to apply to the entire breadth of the body of work or the body of visual materials that accompanied the work of one Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Could you tell us a little bit about how you got involved um, in this particular project? And if if that kind of leads to how you got into editing in general, we'd love to hear that as well. Yeah, um, so I got an email, actually, one of the producers and directors of RBG um, um, sent me a Facebook message and a LinkedIn message. <laughs> like, she didn't have my email <laughs> right away, so she contacted She contacted you the way I contacted you. Yeah, so very- yeah. <laughs> it's all the same way. It's, it's uh, Julie Cohen, who is amazing on social media. She has, like, I don't know, like 10,000 followers on Twitter. And, and <laughs> Anyways, but... Um, but yeah, they sent me an email and they told me that they were making a film about Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And I was like, yes, please, please take me. And I really <laughs> want to edit this. Um, and um, they just got my name from, you know, somebody recommended me to them and they saw my work. And I was just finishing a film with a lot of heavy archival about a, another badass woman, a Mexican singer called Chavela Vargas. And um mm-hmm. And, you know, and we talked and I was hired and I was super excited when I was hired. In in this case, you know, as soon as I got the, mess, the, the first email, I was like, please hire me. Like, I don't even want to <laughs> see one second of my shot already. Or like, I just knew that, you know, that the, the story was going to be so fantastic just because it was her. Um, but at the same time, I it was you know I was kind of like the like the general audience for the film. Like I knew her as notorious RBG, like the work, her yeah. dissenting voice yeah. in the court, and I knew very very little about the the you know her story and and kind of like the impact that she's had uh, for women's rights as a lawyer before she became a judge and 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 then um, Justice Ginsburg. Um, so it was it was pretty cool to kind of discover that as an editor and then you know see audiences discover that when they saw the film um so that was very special um and how i got into editing was i went to film school i went to the stanford Mm -hmm. documentary program 
And I quickly found out that production um, made me sick to my stomach. (laughs) (laughs) That'll do Uh, it. I have the utmost respect for producers. Uh, It just, uh, it was the type of stress that I didn't do well with. And I just love the stress of editing, which a lot of producers and directors just don't, you know, enjoy very much. I really, I loved you know, kind of like facing something that doesn't work at all and like figuring out how to make it work and make it look like a film. And I really enjoyed the process, even though, even when it's hard, I really, really enjoy it. So that's why I got into editing. And now that uh, we've kind of essentially been in lockdown for since March, like are you, you're still working on feature films, uh, feature projects right now. Like how is the, how has the environment changed over the last few months for you? Or how has the kind of workflow changed? Just, just out of curiosity from a personal point of view. Well, um, uh, I just finished working on uh, a film that is directed by the same directors that did, that made RBG. So this is, a... is it about a famous chef? Yes, it's about Julia yes. Child. So, nice. um, so it's been it's been interesting to see. You know, like how at the beginning of the pandemic, everybody was showing the cooking stuff that they were doing, and like everybody yep. started making bread. <laughs> yeah. So it was really sourdough, strange. if I remember. Yeah. Sourdough. So it was very <laughs> strange to be working on a film about food, and you know, yeah. I, I was looking at a lot of like making bread stuff and like things from scratch. Um, and you know, I was very hungry <laughs> because of the pandemic and because of the film. Um, yeah. so yes, yeah, so I just, we just finished that film. Like, I mean, it's not finished, but we locked picture on that film. Like, last nice. Week. Well, congrats, congrats on that. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. So, um, so yeah, so that's... to do that remotely, I guess, has been kind of a difference in, uh, you know, to the way you would have done RBJ. So I think it helped us that we had worked before. Um, we mm-hmm. had, you know, it, through the process of editing RBG, we really kind of developed like a common language. And, mm-hmm. and you know, with directors that you work with before, you're already in sync in terms of like understanding their notes and how they think and, and kind of like the vision, like, you know, what kind of directors they are and the vision that they bring into a film. So we had that thing going already from the beginning of this project. So I think that because of that, our transition into remote editing wasn't as hard as it could have been when you're like, you know, starting to work with a new director, there is, you know, um, a process of, of kind of like, you know, just finding a, a, a common language to work with um, yeah. and really getting to know each other and the way that you approach things. So, so I think it was easy. I mean, it was, um, you know, we did some of the fine cutting over Zoom, like the final, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. things and that worked really well. Um, and I miss, I, I, I really miss them. I love, you know, having those laughs and watching things together and, and, you know, um, having those spirited conversations all in the same room. We were able yeah. to do that. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, there's something missing when you don't get to kind of like enjoy the highs and even enjoy the lows <laughs> of like, you know, putting a film together when you're in the same place and, and laughing together and, you know, discussing that- things together. That makes a hundred hundred percent sense to me because like there, there is, and it, it actually in your, in that particular case, going from, uh, you know, um, RBG to to your next film, it is so nice that that rapport was already there because, as you've sort of said, like <laughs> trying to get down exactly what someone like their their I mean, for lack of a better term, I'll roll it all together and call it like their vibe. Uh, having not worked with them in the same room before uh, would be uh, a, a very rough time, or at least not as enjoyable. And also, again, to your point, like. Um, there is there is some magic even when that magic makes you a little bit uh, perturbed from time to time of just working with people in the same room on a creative project. I, I don't know if Shahir has told you even uh, any of our background a little bit. There might have been some in the email, but Shahir is an editor and a director. I'm an editor and a producer, but like we've all been in the chair and like <laughs> there is there's I miss that quite a bit. That bit of like l- like getting into the into the 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 digital mud, if you will, and trying to just like make the best thing possible with the group of people. But that's, that's really nice that like, 
it's been able to at least keep going through this whole thing. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I mean, again, with this one, we were lucky because, you know, the film is very joyful and, mm -hmm. and it's about, you know, a lot of it is about like enjoying the pleasure pleasures of life, which I think mm -hmm. we all like desperately need at this point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so I think we're, we're very excited to, to kind of put it out in the world and give this, this, you know, pleasurable, joyful film to people. So nice. And, and one thing I think I was really, the reason I really wanted to talk to you in particular, because I've always, uh, you know, having been an editor and a director at both a narrative and documentary, I think one of the things that's very prevalent is that. In the case of documentary filmmaking, the editor is much more involved in the creative process in terms of crafting the actual narrative together. Um, more, I mean, it certainly happens in narrative film, but in narrative, there's a sort of a a little bit more of a hierarchy that happens. Whereas uh, I think, you know, if, if we were referring to that quote earlier, uh, there is a mountain of footage by which you have to shape a film. And I'm I'm really curious if, um, in the case of RBJ, what that process how that process began well i you know and this is a conversation i have with directors when we're really getting to know each other i mean just the hiring conversations like you know am i gonna ask you to be part of the film blah 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 yeah. um it's that um i am the kind of editor that likes to have a discovery phase with the material um I mean, I think that the, you know, a, a strong vision, I, I love working with directors that do really strong, that, you know, do, you know, really in-depth research. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. and, and Julie and Betsy um, uh, come from a journalistic background. They worked on, on, on network news for, for many years. Um, so, you know, that comes very naturally to them. Um, so that guidance, I really, really like having from the directors. Um, but obviously like there is, you know, a guidance that the material is also going to give us. Um, yeah. so that, that moment, you know, during the process is super important for me so that I can kind of like come in to like, in a way, speak with the material and see, Hey, like what's, you know, why are you, what yeah. do you have to offer me? What are the little gems? Like, you know, like I'm yeah. ready for things to like jump out at me and like, you know, and I, I try to always remember my first reaction to moments in the footage, in archival mm -hmm. or interviews. Um, so that part of discovery is essential, I think, to the process. I mean, like you said, you know, with documentaries, there's no initial script. That you, I mean, there is yeah. a treatment and there is a vision, but, but there's not a written script of the dialogue that you're going to use, obviously. Right. So you're, you're building and creating that, all that through the edit, editing process. Um, but yeah, so that's how we started. And, and with RBG, we did not have, um, an interview with her until the very end of the editing process. So, oh, wow. um, so we did a lot of editing before we got that interview. Um, so mm -hmm. we were pulling from, you know, from a lot of those talks, uh, in front of an audience that she had given to, you know, to build the narrative with her voice and, and, um, you know, and like here and there, she would like give some anecdotes about her private life. Um, mm -hmm. And but I don't know if you can hear that. But like, I mean, we use like one line from one talk, another line from another. And that would like make up a segment in the film. Um, yeah. And um, and and then when when I was watching the archival, um, the one thing that really jumped out at me that I had a really strong emotional reaction to was the. Um, Senate hearings for her confirmation as a as a justice. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And so when I, you know, when when I finished watching as much archival as I could and 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 going through, you know, most of the interviews, um, I remember coming together with with Julie and Betsy and like you know just talking through kind of like what our arc uh, the mm -hmm. an outline for a structure was going to be for the film. And I brought up this, the Senate hearings and, and I, you know, I asked them, like, I think that there's an opportunity here to, like, come back to the Senate hearings throughout the film. And, yeah. and this is why. And she's just like, she had an energy about her. And, like, she got, she was the most passionate I had seen her talking about the law. 
but also she was introducing herself to the nation. So, so yeah. you know, she gave us kind of like a really beautiful um, narrative of her life and her family and her parents. And, and there was that amazing moment um, where she talks about her husband and, yes. and the really smart camera person. I mean, these yeah, are yeah. what, like C-SPAN. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right? It's just like really static and really boring. <laughs> But whoever was the camera person that day, I was like, I want to kiss him or her yeah. because yeah. they turned the camera to her husband and they zoomed into him. And yeah. and he just had this like expression of love that was just like, yeah. it, was, it just like tells you everything about the relationship. Um, and, you know, and Julia and Bessie were like, okay, let's try it. If you think <laughs> that there's something in those hearings, like, you know, why not? Like show us. And yeah. yeah, so that, you know, th that's kind of like the collaboration that happens when you when you allow the material to all, also like become part of the discussion of how we're going to tell this story. Um, so, yeah, yeah. So that's what we did at the beginning. I, I love hearing that 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 was a that that was a find from you in sort of the edit room going through the footage, because that was one of the that through line. I've I really enjoyed like. It, it's so nice to hear it, it, I. I mean, I guess it's just a testament to the to the great job you and your entire team did. But like the way you described it about like how like it is great stuff about uh, she's basically introducing herself to the nation. And you, you use that in order to use that as, you know, introing her to your audience in a new format. And it was just I don't know. I really I'm glad that was one of your discovery moments because I, that really worked for me when I was watching yeah. the film. And there were so many gems in that in that footage. I mean, you had like you know, young Biden like smiling at her, <laughs> you know, like with loving eyes. Yeah, and then, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you know, nobody notices this, but actually, there is uh, Justice Kagan is was mm. like a, a you know uh, in somebody's staff. I don't even know what what uh, who she worked with, but she was. You know, she was like behind the senators, like sitting right behind. I mean, it's hard to see her, but yeah, like, you right. know, but those are the little moments where it's like, oh, I'm so, it's so cool that like she's back <laughs> there, you know? <laughs> That's great. Looking at RBG. So, yeah. <laughs> So, Matt, for many of our listeners who may not even know who Ruth Bader Ginsburg is, hopefully they will after this week and everything that's happening in the United States, but where our, our audience is international. That is true. Could you tell us what the IMDb synopsis for RBG is? I 100% can. IMDb says this film is the exceptional life and career of U.S. Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who has developed a breathtaking legal legacy while becoming an unexpected pop culture icon. Uh, I think that is very apt. Uh, uh, Carla, we, we, we tend to, every movie we do, we read the IMDb description and we decide if it's accurate or not. And I do think that is highly accurate to what this film is. So good job, IMDb. Yes. And, um, and undoubtedly, uh, for those who are in the United States, we know that uh, RBG unfortunately passed away uh, this week um, after uh, about several bouts of cancer. Um, but w the part of the ongoing legacy about RBG is that she worked pretty much right up until the moment and has been and is known as a tireless. Um, fighter for um, both uh, jurisprudence in the Supreme Court, but also specifically for women's right throughout her entire career. Um, I'm curious, uh, Carla, how you felt when you heard the news this week? I, I screamed a really bad word. <laughs> so did, can I be really honest with you? Yeah. I shouted that word and then had to explain to my son, my four-year-old, why I was so upset. Yeah, I, my yeah. husband and I, we were, um, we were listening to the evening news in the kitchen while cooking. Yeah, we, we were both there, and uh, so we got like, you know, we heard the first news that came out, and I think it was CNN on NPR that we were listening to. Yeah, um, I mean, it was, I, I you know. I, ha I don't think I've been affected by a public figure, the passing of a public figure as much. Obviously, editors have a really weird relationship with the characters mm -hmm. of the films they're, they're working on. Um, mm -hmm. It's really strange because I remember at the beginning of my career, um, I did not know how to handle my behavior around characters once I met them. <laughs> yep, yep. Uh, 100%. 
Yes, and I was I was super awkward, and they they I kept looking at them, and my husband <laughs> had to tell me like, "Hey, you you look like a stalker." <laughs> because you yeah, well, you develop. I remember this too. You you develop like this weird and it's this sort of like one-sided relationship where you where you look at this person for 8 10 12 hours a day for weeks and months on end and then at like a rap party or something like you're introduced to them and you don't know if you should act like your body's telling you like oh yeah no we know each other we're cool or yeah. like it's like you know that's not right so you freeze up 100% that's always such an awkward thing yeah i remember one time early in my career i went to just give somebody a hug and they were like what the <laughs> Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, you know, but at the same time, like, you know, it's you're only presenting an aspect of a character, I think. I mean, a film just cannot, you know, just carry a whole person's life or the entire personality of a person and right. and all the complexities of what a person is. Right. Um, um, but I actually think that in this case, um, it almost did really capture her yeah. entire spirit, and and I yeah. and I think that that's because really, you know, I mean, I I I I I keep telling I think my my kids this, but like of I watch decades and decades of footage of her, yeah, and not at any moment was there a disappointment that right that it was yeah. very. She was just like very, you know, her life had a purpose and and it was just so clear who she was and what you saw was who she was that that I think in this specific instance it, it I think the film really, you know, really captured her essence in in a full way in you know, in a very complete way, you know, compared to my experience with with other films where we can only kind of present one aspect of of a person. Um, I don't know if that makes any sense, but no, no, that makes that makes perfect sense. And I, and I think one thing that's really interesting about the film is that it does go through the totality of her experience. And it is it's it, as you say, there's a linear line between the moment she chooses to be a lawyer to the moment that she marries Martin, that the moment that she, you know, it takes her first job, the moment that she's working for the ACLU and presents to the Supreme Court to the moment that she becomes confirmed herself and the story that goes on is becoming a dissenting voice. There's a there's a clear line, even though it seems like at the beginning she she doesn't necessarily come across as someone with a striving reason to be a lawyer, you know, it seems like she just kind of like, yeah, well, this seems like something I'll do. Um, but, but there is this, like, I guess maybe the, the sort of, uh, essence of her is this continual motion forward that leads to bigger and bigger opportunities and bigger and bigger moments in history. Um, and I'm, I'm, you know, like RBJ's life recently has become, uh, as you noted, kind of, um, uh, almost pop culture more than any other justice uh, on the Supreme Court. Um, and, uh, you know, like uh, to the point that Miss America is dealing with some of the same um, cases that she's been involved with um, in the ratification of the Equal Rights Amendment. Um, there was a feature film at the same time, similar time as yours coming out, uh, called On the Basis of Six that was directed by Mimi Lita, which was a fictional um, recounting of one of her cases. Um, I'm curious kind of, you say there was no disappointments, and I and I I can believe that. I'm I'm curious what the discoveries were for you about her um, through through making this film that you weren't kind of privy to before going into it. Um, I think most most of it was historical. So um, <laughs> so it's interesting. You know, I mean, I I you know. I've considered myself a feminist since I was, you know, in high school. Um, mm -hmm. But I was kind of surprised as how little I knew about the the specifics of, you know, of, uh, you know, discrimination against women and and mm -hmm. what was on paper, really. Um, yeah. And also there was, uh, you know, I, I am an immigrant. I come from, you know, I, I came to this country when I was 14. Um, mm -hmm. but, but I, I don't think it's because I wasn't so familiar with American history. I think most women don't really know that like, mm -hmm. as you know, as uh, I mean, it's not that far, that history is not that far away. It's like what yeah. only 50 years yeah. ago where, you know, it was hard for women to get like a credit card without the permission of their, you know, 
uh, right. of their husbands or like they couldn't get a loan from, you know, in some states they couldn't get a loan without, you know, getting their husband's signature. So, mm-hmm. right. um, I mean, I was just like, it was just like that information was just like crazy when, when I was kind of getting the, the details of, you know, what we were confronting. Also, um, my relationship to, to the women's um, movement, um, you know, I always kind of felt, um, I felt very proud of it, but I felt a little bit distant from it. It felt very, you know, it felt historical and the way that media had really always presented it, it was, you know, this like, you know, uh, mostly white women going out, mm-hmm. m- marches, and that's where you see a lot in documentaries. And and it just, I don't know, there was something about like, you know, learning um, about the, the work that Ruth Bader Ginsburg and what, you know, what the ACLU was doing kind of like behind the curtains. Um, yeah. It just gave me a much fuller understanding of the women's movement and what they were really up against. And it just like really allowed me to understand some of the, you know, freedoms and, and things that we've gained in time, like, you know, we just take them for granted as like, you know, uh, just like a younger generation of feminists. Like if that's, you know, with ignorance, like we just take that, like, you know, our rights for granted in a way, but it's just staggering how, how things were not that long ago. So that, I think that was the biggest discovery for me. And the film presents a few of the key figures around that period, particularly Gloria Steinem. Mm-hmm. Um, but but one of the things that I think I was most struck by, I guess, learning about RBJ in this in this past week, you know, and it's a shame that her death kind of spurred more of that um, active engagement in her in what her work really was. But um, you know, the couple of things that seem of interest was um, the fact that she was so politically calculating. So you know, her work with the ACLU was uh, oftentimes a very astute calculation of how do we get the Supreme Court to hear cases that exemplify um, discrimination against women. And, and, and a number of the cases that she picked were carefully selected to exemplify ex- discrimination against men in many cases. You know, like there, there were cases where it was actually discrimination against men. And, and her basic Trojan horse there was that if we can present this idea of discrimination against men, we will essentially uh, present the kernel of the idea that discrimination against women is also insidious as well. And I, I, I guess I wondered in the, in the, in the footage that you saw and in the, in the storytelling that you did, like, was there a calculation or was there any discoveries about like, how much do we get into the weeds of how, precise she was with the law like i think we we know her as the iconoclast now we know her as the notorious rbj but how many people really know how important she was in shaping the the legal um framework for for um dispelling um discrimination against women um you mean like in terms of the general uh audiences how yeah like like how well known that story is or well how how much do you want to like how much was there a conversation about like should we show how she actually made the legal mechanisms work in order to illustrate uh how discrimination works against women yeah i mean that was that was uh that was her main purpose to to explain how strategic she was and what kind of like you know what was her argument using you know using the 14th amendment to 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 you know show that that you know affected women as well um Mm. but um yeah i mean we aim to make the law clear um and that was that was in a way one of the biggest challenges that we face putting the film together because you can really get into if you get into the details it can get very confusing for a lay person like me like the first time I heard her um, audio arguments because all the mm-hmm. you know audio all the arguments to the Supreme Court are recorded in audio and they. Mm-hmm. It's pretty amazing. They're all in one website, so you, you can find them all. <laughs> uh, but the first time I was hearing those arguments, um, it was hard for me to follow and hard for me to right. understand because of all the legal, you know, language that they use um, yeah. and all the all the terms that they use. Um, so, um, so we wanted we wanted 
people to really understand her strategy, but also mm-hmm. not not shy away from from presenting her strategy because it was really important, you know, how she thought about it and how she presented her argument to the court itself. Um, mm. You know, up to that point, um, the Fourteenth Amendment um, was presented in terms of like the you know racial discrimination and yeah. and this you know idea that like it also encapsulated sexual discrimination um um you know was something that that was very new and that that's what she came up with in terms of you know to fight that type of discrimination as well um yeah i mean yes we wanted that to be clear what she did yeah yeah i think i think the level of detail at least again for me a lay person as well with the uh information on the law uh was uh kind of a perfect mix and you you also kind of built it in and i actually this will kind of round into another question i had the the, you, you sort of like along with the structure of going back to her confirmation hearings to get sort of more of her story but then for her for her full um i guess i'll call it like the chronological legal journey right like the 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 framework of sort of like uh, showing the specific cases and the graphic with the with the page on it and everything that said like they gave the small summary and then diving in and that then connecting back to things going on you know that are emotionally resonant going on in her life etc I found that very very like that was a very effective balancing act a lot of good plate spinning I would call it uh, for me where I was able to get the either the gist or the important amount of information about the legal like what was going on legally what was going on historically in the moment but then also how that tied into what you could see as a grand strategy through a lot of it that was hers like moving forward like um for instance you know we, we we've touched on a little bit but like going from uh uh Frontiero versus Richardson, the Air Force one, into uh, the the woman uh, being discriminated against the housing stipend, and then going into the one that she here was talking about, the Weisenberger versus Weis- Weisenfeld, Weisenfield, Weisenfeld, uh, yeah, Weisenfeld. Thank you. Uh, the benefits of the the widowed husband, etc., and then using pieces of those to go through and keep going and going and going. Uh, it it helped me get the structure of like how you showed that helped uh, firm a lot of other things you were showing me in the film of like the way that her mind worked and the way that she wanted to make her work kind of work for her next, for lack of a better term, work. Like it all it all <laughs> sort of built together. And it was a lovely synergy, I thought, of like not only getting to know this woman and her professional life and her career, but also through the way that it was told, seeing the structure of how I would imagine she would think. Oh, thanks. That's, that's a great way of putting it and i think that's that's what we were hoping to to accomplish uh i mean it it is it's you know the way that that some of the interviews with with the lawyers that work with her um and and the aclu director um you know the way that people describe her work and her strategy was kind of like weaving this like really tight you know um uh, argument where yeah. you could like build from from one case to the next to the next and you know in in conclusion you would you know come out with the court agreeing that all type of sex of sex you know discrimination was you know illegal and yeah. wrong right um while other lawyers would look at each case as like this particular legal stature is wrong and you should just you know um you know like protect this specific defendant she yeah. always presented it as like this particular stature you know represents also all the laws that are doing the same thing so we should just take a look at like the big picture here and that was yeah. like so yeah. revolutionary and like that was you know i mean when i finally understood that like when i really understood her like you know uh her brief in the frontier case and what she mm-hmm. was doing um uh, I was just like, I, I was like, oh my God, like this is so crazy and so big. And like the way that she was thinking about it was just like, you know, like thinking about a strategy for years to come, right? Like that was what she was planning to do, kind of like 
get like the low hanging apples and then like from there going higher and higher and higher to just kind of like create this like big argument about you know all types of sex discrimination yeah. um and and in that in that vein it's 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 odd too because i feel like she was one of the at least currently, and I know there's a few others obviously moving forward in their careers or at various parts, but she was one of the few politicians that I felt kind of understood that and kind of understood like and, and I, I'm gonna make a take a wild stab and say that all three of us are fairly left leaning here. Um but the 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 way that she was able to take arguments of things that would like we're, we're living in a very obviously partisan time right now, more than I've ever experienced in my entire life. And uh, it's becoming very clear that in our own bubbles via the social media or just friend groups or your families or whatever, ideas are not free flowing anymore. Like we are very like we have our we, we have our beliefs and our biases and like we can yell at each other all day long, but no one's going to sort of get through and i feel like ruth bader ginsburg was one of the few lawmakers that understood that about human nature and built her entire career and the way that she worked to figure out a loophole and like a hack through that like poor human coding that we have like because she did she would never drop like a huge bomb on you she'd build an entire like stairway for you to like like walk casually towards a a, a plot point that or, or like a uh, uh, a legal movement, let's say, that she knew was correct and she knew you would know was correct if only you could be led there. Yeah. That'll be a part that's missed for me. The the way I would frame it in that respect is that maybe her love of opera oh. in a way, um, like like the thing that I sort of felt about her was that she was a very good storyteller. Like, you know, hearing how the speech that she'd given, uh, the, that she'd written in uh, The Duchess of Crackenthorpe yeah. uh, and how sort of cleverly she weaved in the the uh birth certificate story made me think that she's actually just a great storyteller um as well and i wondered um you know for me the thing that i think is interesting is is looking at uh, the relationships that she formed during her lifetime that made at least that were represented in the film and one is obviously with her husband martin and the second is with her great friendship with uh, justice scalia who sat on the opposite side of the uh the political spectrum to her um I wonder how, you know, those relate, how much were you sort of wanting to focus in on those relationships or, or maybe, you know, allow her to tell her own story or, you know, like I, I just got, there's a strange thing with this film and with this documentary in particular is that it's really delightful. Like oh, it yeah. is Thank like, you. it's, it's really life affirming. It's really warm. You feel the love on screen and it's a really joyful experience to watch this film. And, and I think a lot of it comes through not only her, um, how perceptive she is about human beings, as Matt was saying, but also how warm her, her actual relationships were with people. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that, that just seems like a sort of a striking thing about this particular film. Yeah. I mean, one thing that I just want to mention is that, you know, I mean, as a, even as a lawyer, she really believed in judicial... Uh, uh, in the process? In the process, yeah, like the courts and the, the Supreme Court and the courts in general and the law should follow society. So like okay. legal precedent, know, right? So yeah, so yeah. so I mean, for example, you know, for example, with like you know, with gay rights or you know, it's mm -hmm. just like like society is kind of leading the courts to make mm -hmm. legal changes because society is ready for those changes. So, you know, she really believed that, like, the courts should not lead the changes, but they should follow society. So, um, so you know, so, she, I mean, she wasn't, you know, she wasn't, like, a liberal voice in the court when she became a justice. I mean, she right, was yeah. very much in the, in, in the middle. And, um, and it was, like, the change of the court that, like, you know, kind of pushed her to be the the big you know dissenting voice in the court um mm -hmm. um but is is that's not something that i don't i don't think she was like looking to jump into that into that role uh from the very beginning um but okay so i said that but you were asking about like the relationships between yeah the relationships that she formed um just had a warm quality they just made me feel good to be honest with you yeah i mean it was um <laughs> 
you know, from the very beginning when I when I started talking to Betsy and Julie about the main parts of her life that we wanted to really, you know, explore in the film, um, you know, I mean, the love story was just so, you know, so important. And um, and you could also see see it in the footage so much. So actually, the first segment that I edited was um, when they met when she met right. her and and you know and we were not only trying to see how we were gonna tell the story i mean we were like trying to figure out how we were gonna play with all the different elements that we had um you know remember that we didn't have that interview at the beginning so it yeah. was like you know we had her going like the filmmakers had followed her going to these different events and then we had archival so the first segment was kind of like also a test for us in how to bring all the different types of footage and archival together to tell that narrative. And, and, you know, I mean, it's, it's the love story. It's just like, it's so, it's just so lovely. And so, yeah. you know, and it, it, it's such a special, you know, uh, gender dynamic story for the time, yeah. right. Of yeah. how supportive yeah. he was and how much of a champion he was for her. Um, that that really had to take center stage. Um, and, you know, I mean, obviously the relationship with, with Scalia was also so important, but um, it really exemplified something that she, she talked about from early on that she learned from her mom. It's like, you know, you just kind of have to make your voice be heard, but not, not in like, you know, a, 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 in opposition to others in a way that you cannot work with them. And that's, you know, that's just kind of like, you know, the kind of the mission that she has in every aspect of her life. Like it's, you know, why, why get into that like conflict when you're just not hearing each other at all? Um, and I think that that really, you know, that really had to do a lot with like this beautiful friendship that that she was able to have with Scalia. And they love their each other's sense of humor. I mean, it was just like I think that is joyful because those relationships were so joyful in in her life. Mm. In and then you know, as an editor, you just kind of try to capture that essence, you know, and and just summarize it in 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 like a very short amount of time. So you have to like use your narrative tools to be able to do that, like with music, with you know the pictures that you're choosing, stuff like that. But uh, but yeah they were joyful for her so how do you you know just put that joy yeah. you know in 10 minutes of that segment or like five yeah. minutes it's, of it's, that a, segment. it's emotional residence concentrate it's like it's it's just putting it all into get, getting the, the most um you know resonance for for your buck per time for per minute yeah but and and, and i think that that's i mean that's that's the fun in the editing right yeah. it's like what you know, like I choose when I work with archival, a lot of it is kind of like creating a moment and creating a scene with archival. Mm -hmm. um, but also, but also it's really building a mood. So even like the pictures that you, you that you choose, like mm -hmm. when do you choose to go um, to the interview on camera? You know, there's um, this great editor that, you know, that used to say that, you know, you choose the moments in the interviews that reveal character and not necessarily the, like, you know, just kind of like jump to the right line, but it's really yeah. like the expression of the face that like helps you create that mood of that segment that you're trying to, you know, convey. Um, I mean, like you did, like you did at the hearing with the, with her husband, yeah. with Martin. Yeah. Husband, yeah. yeah. A little smirk. Yeah. So every, yeah. everything, I mean, it's like, you know, it's just, is trying a bunch of different pictures the right twinkle in the eye in one in one picture or like sometimes a picture can be a, a, an entire scene too um so yeah so it's uh every tiny little edit decision has to kind of like help you you know build that mood that you're that you're going for so with with that in mind, I know this week in particular, I'm sure the uh, if we looked at the streaming metrics for this particular film, it's probably shot through the roof this week. And I'm curious. Uh, I don't know if you have an opinion on this right now, but but having gone through the footage and and your perspective of of seeing her work, what do you think? 
not necessarily what she would make of what's happening right now, but but what do you make of the ongoing fight to fill her vacancy or just just the fight that the, the vacuum that she leaves behind um, in her passing? Well, you know, like I said at the beginning, um, I am trying to be inspired by her determination and her yeah. optimism. And, um, you know, I mean, it is it is hard to think that, you know, that somebody with very, a very, very different, you know, very different views on how the law functions and, you know, um, and, you know, how we move forward in terms of like, you know, the relationship between society and, and the law, um, that somebody with very different opinions is going to take her her seat on the court is yeah. is very hard to swallow but i keep thinking about her dissents and you know the same way that like you know she created this strategy of like you know building from one case to the next um um you know to to really create like a very strong argument against um sex discrimination like she did the same thing with her dissents. Um, right. You know, like I think that she she had a strong purpose in like building and, you know, the language that she used in the dissents that are going to be able to be used by lawyers, you know, decades mm-hmm. from now to maybe set things right. Uh, and I'm, I'm hopeful for that. And I'm, I'm really grateful to her for thinking that way. I think she was she was thinking strategically like, you know, what's going to happen yeah. like 30 years from now. And that's that's yeah. what has, you know, like if you look at the history of the court, that it has happened. Like people have used dissents from like 60 years before to make changes that like, you know, now society is like, obviously, you know, like how yeah. can you think that, you know, things should be different than, you know, they need to be now. Um, we're just not there, you know, yet. Um it makes me really sad that we're going to have to maybe wait for another 30 years for those, um, you know, for those dissents to, you know, to be used and, and to maybe become like actually, you know, the law of the land. Um, and we're just going to have to be a little bit more patient, but I'm hopeful, I'm hopeful that we're, we're going to set things right, that the next generations are going to set, set things right. I don't know. It's, <laughs> it's, 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 a cha- it's a challenging question it's, at this it's point. Sad. Yeah, it's a challenging it's, time. Yeah, I mean, I'm freaking angry and I'm sad and you know, and I'm I'm super angry about you know, I mean, I do feel like this. <laughs> the Republicans have stolen two seats. Like that's how I feel. Yeah. yeah. But um, but I I'm hopeful. There's I'm hopeful. Do you think um you know that that sort of strategic mindset that she had. Um, and the political calculus that she was often making. Um, you know, one of the things we knew about RBJ and one of the reasons why I think everyone maybe shouted out loud when she, when they knew that she'd passed was that we believe that RBJ understood that she needed to hold on um, to that seat until a new president was sworn in, potentially. Um, and one of the criticisms of RBJ in particular, um, you know, stemming from the ACLU time, was that she, you know, she opted for a go slow approach. You know, let's use the mechanisms of the law and let's affect change as the law permits it. Let's not affect change uh, as the people require it to be. Do you think um, that calculation has backfired somewhat now? Like there was, uh, and again, this is sort of playing devil's advocate, but and you were making this film around the period of the previous presidential election. Um, there was an opportunity for her to actually step back at that point um, and and see if a new seat could be filled at that point. Do you, do you think that was... Um, did you ever get a sense of that calculation going on as you were, as you were going through interviews with her? Um, well, I think that she was very careful whenever she talked <laughs> about that. Um, so <laughs> I can only share my personal opinion on that. Yeah, um, But I think that... Um, uh, you know, I mean, that that's that's going to be a criticism that that people are going to have of her not deciding to retire when Obama was, you know, president. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, nobody has ever asked the man in the court to do that. 
Yeah. Uh, right. So that's my my personal opinion. That like you know, right. um, and you know, I you know I can't really explain. I mean, she felt that she could do the work at yeah. full steam, yeah. uh, and that's what she always. That's how she responded to that question. And um, yeah. but the you inter- know, yeah, the the thing that I always look at when people sort of posit that and like either feel that that is a detraction from a legacy or something along those lines. I I look at it and I'm just like, okay, there's a lot wrong there. First and foremost, if the safety of an entire political system rests on literally one person and the seat of their job, like or, or before things would shift in a radical different direction, that's not that one's person's fault. That is the the system that exists over de- decades upon decades' fault. Like like and and to your point, Carla, no one has ever asked uh, a, a man to to do that. Like oh well, like it's the right. Th- well, like no, it's not. Like she could do the work. She was moving forward and and. It's it's always so interesting to me when when that comes up because I'm just like that that's the kind of and I Sheer, I know you're not saying this. You were again being devil's advocate because people have said this in the past. Uh but that always it it that's the thing about this entire sort of week and even back then when that discussion was being had uh when she was still with us, that really pissed me off. I was just like, This is it is not all her, this woman who has worked so hard for everyone else it is not her it like this the entirety of the united states of america is not her responsibility like she's doing the best she can and she feels that she can make a difference and uh yeah it's that's a yeah sorry i just went off on a tangent because that bugs me (laughs) (laughs) well it's interesting i mean um Hmm, I don't know if I'm gonna get this wrong, but but um, there was a liberal justice that retired at ninety, so she mm-hmm. was thinking that yeah. you know if she could do her her work at full steam, that she was planning on retiring around that time, as well. Yeah, I think uh, the reason I I bring up that calculation is that uh, a friend of ours and friend of the show, Zishan Alim had written a post this week or written a few articles this week about um, basically the political calculation of the Democrats versus Republicans right now. And essentially, I think the the argument that's being made is that the Democrats are hoping that the system acts in good faith when, in fact, the Republicans do not believe the same truth to be self-evident. Um, and, and I guess what that means is this is why you have a situation in which in 2016, Merrick Garland was nominated by the president but not even given a Senate hearing Yeah. Um, because, you know, it shouldn't happen in an election year. And then you get to 2020. Like 10, and, 10 months before yeah. it happened. Yeah, 10 months yeah. Before and, and, that, and that calculation changed because we don't need, you know, like we don't need to act in good faith. And I, I wonder if that calculation is kind of backfiring upon the left right now. I believe but Zishan anyway. used the analogy. What was it that that the uh, the Democrats are Charlie Brown and the Republicans are Lucy with the football? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean that's a whole conversation about about you know minority a minority ruling pretty pretty much the country. I mean you know we go back to like one vote, you know one person one vote. Yeah. Is it, you know, it's, yeah. I don't know. I mean, hopefully we'll, we won't get to a point where like, you know, we're going to get into such a crisis that it's going to, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. Like, yeah. we'll see what the states decide to do, but like, I don't think we can sustain this for much longer. Yeah. yeah. So we'll see. Did you, Julie and Bitsy kind of regroup that at any point this week to kind of commiserate or share some time together to talk about this or... We talked briefly, um, um, but it was it was because we needed to talk about this other film. Um, Julia yeah, yeah, we we texted each other and and have you know done some social media, but really Betsy and Julie just kind of like jump on. I mean, they just got so busy. They were doing all these interviews, and then you know uh, Magnolia and 
I think is said. Um, Imagine is working on Charles. Yeah, but but uh, Magnolia was the the distributor that that you know distributed RBG theatrically. So they, oh, yes, yes, yes. they decided to do a re-release. So I don't even know yeah. what they're like dealing with, but right. I know that they've been like just running around and being you know doing all this stuff around around what's been happening. I wanted to uh, wrap up with a couple of little questions uh, just to just to get my final thoughts in. But um, Gloria Steinem uh, tweeted this week, uh, we can each honor Ruth Bader Ginsburg by asking ourselves, what would Ruth do? Uh, using this as a guide in our own lives to help keep her with us. Um, you're an extremely accomplished filmmaker, and many of our listeners are filmmakers as well, um, who either want to break in or are working on projects. I wonder... Um, Keeping in mind your experience of, of, of watching this amazing woman through archival footage, what, uh, what advice you might have for some of the younger filmmakers or people starting out um, right now who want to be where you are? I mean, I've always made decisions on, um, you know, my, my career decisions have been made based on, I think, the, the type of stories that I really wanted to get involved. And um, generally, they've been character-driven stories but that like do bring a light to important social issues even if they're mm -hmm. like historical social issues or pressing social issues of, of our time so I've always felt really um, in a way proud that like my my work really reflects you know the way that I see the world and and what I want to offer to the world um, and uh, so just you know if the if those are things that like you know you're passionate about just you know continue to make decisions in your career that like are true to that um if that's the type of work that you want to do um pay attention to the details of the work like you know you just progress is slow you just have to keep doing the work slowly and you know with determination and uh so i think we all just need to do that if, even if it's like volunteering work or, you know, or just your paid work, like, you know, just work hard and do it and, you know, try to be nice to other people. <laughs> that Yeah, that is a... <laughs> That is a huge one that I feel many have, have forgotten recently. Maybe we can sort of get back, yeah, get back to that place. I, I want to get back to you know, like what I what I meant earlier is that it's interesting because the the first two acts of the film are really kind of this, um, the journey, you know, uh, and uh, her fight against you know um, discrimination mm -hmm. uh, right. uh, towards women. But then our third act, which was kind of like the hardest act to put together, is like, okay, so what happened when she, you know, like accomplished that and then she became the justice. And and um and it was really kind of her journey from being a moderate in the in in the core to like, mm -hmm. you know, becoming this dissenting voice. So that was kind of like the journey of the third act. But it was uh, you know, the word that I was forgetting is like judicial restraint. Like ah, in the right. hearing, she really talks about that, you know, really talks about like not, not, you know, not pushing things too, too hard and too far when society is not really ready to support that, that it is society that leads the changes. Um, so that's what I meant by that. I think I would just kind of scramble my words, but <laughs> there it is. Um, that makes total sense. Yeah. Well, this has been the only podcast, though I hope not, and I'm sure this is not true, about the film RBG, Third Time's a Charm. I didn't mess that up at all. Uh, <laughs> Carla, thank you so much for being here and talking with us about this film, your process in making it, and, and literally um, showing us an angle of a woman that we could all benefit in our own personal lives uh, from knowing a little bit better. Um, Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Where can folks find you on the interwebs uh, if they would be so inclined to do so? Am I am I there? I guess my Twitter account is sure. Is it Carlita Gu? <laughs> you would know better. I don't even know. We'll put it. We'll put it in the graphic too. But let let me put it this way: I am a terrible internet uh, sleuth, and I managed to find you, and I was very gra <laughs> glad that I was able to. So thank you very much for. Uh, for agreeing to be on the show. We loved having you on. We loved hearing you. And 
I stress this to all our audience. I love this film. Yes, I think it's I think it's so delightful. Oh, thank and it, you. It it just brought like a, a just a real sliver of joy into my week this week. So I was very happy that we were able to cover it in the podcast. Okay. It, thank you. I've been hearing I've been hearing a lot of eighth graders watching it at their schools, and that's made me really really happy. Yeah, so a bunch of kids are watching the film right now. So it's cool. And I'm looking forward to uh, watching Julia Childs in the same light. Yes. You'll be in for a couple of surprises in there, too. <laughs> nice. Her roast chicken recipe is a staple at my house, by the way. <laughs> Shahir, when you are not vying for your own supreme seat on the council of this podcast, where can folks find you? I am the Supreme Court Justice, and I am the law. You know what that quote is. Uh, on this podcast, you can find me at my website, www.shahirdaud.com, S-H-A-H-I-R-D-A-U-D. Matt, when you are not dreading my imposing uh, uh, judgments, where can people find you? You can find me dissenting your anti-fun rhetoric at my website, M-A-T-T-H-E-W-K-R-O-L.com, for my life and works. Also, Skeletor, the number four, P-R-E-Z on Instagram, uh, in PSN, and Emperor MSK on Twitter. Also, please check out the good works we're doing over at Extra Credits. Uh, we are now doing, we're actually over on our YouTube channel, we're doing uh, a four-part miniseries on extra politics, we're calling it Extra Politics, and we're doing bits on how to fix broken systems using game design, because po the political games, the political system is just one big game that people keep finding exploits in and we work with a lot of game designers so that they can uh basically patch our legal system like you would in a board game or a video game when people are cheating uh so that's coming out soon please check that out uh sheer do we know what we're doing this is the eternal question uh, look the world is uh, a tumbling wheel of chaos at this moment and uh we will see what happens uh and hopefully that'll determine what film we discuss next week in a positive way but if it's not uh we will uh come back at then you we'll just with... watch street fighter the movie it'll be fine uh yeah. all right everybody we'll talk to you next week bye bye everyone bye.